Hello, everyone, and welcome <laughs> to the protagonist. Welcome <laughs> to the protagonist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack here with Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today, we're going to have a discussion about who we're going to talk about in the 1987 film, The Princess Bride. And the reason why is because this film, The Princess Bride, has some really interesting characters, and I am on the other side of the world right now, and we have not had a conversation about (laughs) who we're going to talk about. And uh, and I think it's a conversation worth having. Uh, the film was written by William Goldman and directed by Rob Reiner. The film has a 97% rating on RottenTomatoes.com, which seems low to me on the low end. Uh, the only two negative reviews came from Variety and Time Out. Uh, it was initially a flop, which also is mind-boggling, uh, but VHS made it popular. Yeah, it really found its audience uh, in the home, home video market. Uh, found its audience with me in the home video market. In the taped off of the TV market. Uh, so, Joseph, how did you come to The Princess Bride? I have a memory of my uncle sending us a package with a whole bunch of movies in it, which may or may not have been legally obtained. <laughs> and uh, my parents said, you, you'll like this one. And having it on and kind of like being partially interested in it until the sword fight scene. And then I was all in. Oh, yeah. yeah. From uh, like the dumping the rocks out through the sword fight, I was, I was all in from then on out. And I've seen it, I don't know how many times since then. It's just one of those, like, if you're a child of the 1980s, you know, growing up in the 90s, that's one of the background movies of your childhood, at least for me. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we had a, we had a taped off of TV version, um, which was funny because today I watched it, or I guess yesterday for me, uh, I watched it um, on, like, a DVD version of it. And I kept waiting for the commercial breaks. <laughs> you, you knew the rhythm of when they were coming. <laughs> I had the rhythm of the commercial breaks, and uh, and they didn't come. But man, what a film! It's it really is one of my uh, all time favorites. When we got married, it was one of the first that we bought on DVD. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, I've always loved this movie. Yeah, and you uh, you made note uh, earlier that we haven't quite nailed down what character we're going to talk about because you this is this is our first international edition of the protagonist podcast. <laughs> uh, you're in Spain at the moment. Our communication has been a little less yes. frequent and we knew we were going to be talking about this movie and we kind of said, we'll probably talk about Wesley, but after watching it, I was kind of like, I don't know that there's too much to say about him actually. And, and as we were, as just like seconds before we started recording, you're like, well, let's decide what we're going to talk about while we're recording. Maybe let's hold that conversation even a tiny bit longer. Do it after the, uh, the full synopsis. Yeah, I think we should. Okay. I'll give a a quick spoiler-free synopsis. Uh, This film, uh, sort of like Mouse, which we um, had talked about, uh, I'm guessing, a couple of weeks ago when this uh, airs. Um, Sort of like in Mouse, we have a framing device. So the film starts with a little boy um, in what looks to be Chicago is sick. And he's playing video games, and his grandfather comes, and his grandfather has uh, a book for him. The book is called The Princess Bride, and he starts to read the book to the boy. Uh, and that story is then the main story of the film, the main frame of the film. And it's the story of a girl whose name is Buttercup. And she 
owns a farm, and there's a farm boy there, and she falls in love with him, and then he goes off on a journey and gets killed, and then she has to marry this horrible prince called Humperdinck, and then she is kidnapped, and then she... um, uh, I don't. I, don't know. Yeah, Pat, I, I think you're heading into the full synopsis here. <laughs> I think I am too. I don't know where to. I don't know where well, to end this. I can say but, it uh, is, anyway. Uh, it's well, a all right. Right before adventure and fantasy adventure ensues. Yeah, right before we start recording, <laughs> Andrew showed me the original 1987 film trailer, and we'll put this up in the show notes. Everyone should go watch this or find it on YouTube. Uh, and it ends with I, I can't get the exact quote because I just watched it once. But there's it puts up the title "The Princess Bride," and this voiceover says. Not your average, everyday, run-of-the-mill, normal. And on and on with all these synonyms and things. Fairy tale. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't really... It's kind of an odd thing to... I mean, I guess it's... I don't know. I don't know what it's the story of. It's the story of her and, and all of the fantasy and crazy adventure that ensues. It's really a story about a series of really great characters. I think yeah. they just come sort of in succession, mm-hmm. but, it, but it, this is um, a film that's really, uh, it's, it's all about the ensemble, all about the interactions of these characters. And, um, even more than the plot. I mean, the, there is a plot there, but the, I, I think what makes us love it is these, these characters. I, I was thinking about it earlier today when I watched it. Cause this Producer film, Andrew, is, jumping in here. Thanks. Uh, it's it's a classic. Like everyone knows this film, and it sort of transcends just like a normal film with plot line and character and everything. It it reaches something a little more than that. Um, and I don't think this is quite a full comparison. But I was thinking about in recent years, like Guardians of the Galaxy is an ensemble where the characters are the thing that makes the film. And so, the, in some yes. ways, I would say that is a major similarity between this and a recent film. All right, well, if that sounds interesting to you and you've never seen this before, uh, you should pause this podcast uh, before we go into the full full synopsis. And as always, uh, we'll have some links uh, where you can obtain this uh, in the show notes at protagonistpodcast.com. And I don't know, I don't think this one is available on Netflix. Does anyone, has anyone checked that? I do not think so. I got it on a Blu-ray at a Best Buy in the bargain bin. Okay. So, so yeah. like five bucks. And this is another one that if you, if you know anyone who has children, you probably just go knock on their door, and the odds are they can lend this to you. All right, so with that, you know what I will say oh. that I will say that um, every year, fewer and fewer of my students have seen The Princess Bride, and it it always makes me happy to be able to recommend that they go and watch it when I inevitably quote this film in class, which. This may be the most quoted film by me uh, of all time. We will certainly discuss some of the quotable lines in this film. All right. All well, right. I'm going to give the full synopsis here of the film. And Todd, feel free to interrupt as though you are a sick child, uh, impatiently badgering a, a grandfatherly <laughs> figure. <laughs> is this a kissing? Is this a kissing book? <laughs> All right. Uh, the film opens with some amazing video game graphics. A boy's homesick, playing when his grandpa comes by to read him a book called *The Princess Bride*. In the book, a woman named Budcup asks a farm boy Wesley. Uh, to help her with menial tasks, and he always responds, as you wish. With this basis for a meaningful relationship, they realize they're madly in love, and the boy goes off to earn his fortune so that they can be <laughs> married, and Buttercup hears that his ship was attacked by the Dread Pirate Roberts, who famously always kills everyone on the ship that he attacks, and so she mourns him deeply. 
movie cut to five years later. And she is now going to marry Prince Humperdinck. Great name. Uh, and he has selected Buttercup <laughs> as his bride, as prince. He can pick any anyone in the entire kingdom to marry him. This seems like a good system that will never have any problems arise. Before the wedding, though, Buttercup <laughs> is kidnapped by three men. The Sini, who fancies himself the brains of the group, Inigo Montoya, a master swordsman, and a giant of a man named Fezzik. And while sailing to another country where they plan to leave Buttercup's dead body in order to start a war, they realize that they are being followed. They climb a rope up a massive cliff face, and they see a man in black coming up after them. Zini, Fezzik, and Buttercup leave Inigo behind to kill the man. And after Inigo verifies that the man in black only has five fingers, an epic duel ensues. And the man in black wins, but he knocks out Inigo instead of killing him. Best sword fight in all of film. It, it, it's a very good sword, sword fight. We'll, we'll, we'll come back around to that. Uh, it's really good. Uh, Fezzik tries to stop the man in black while Zini and Buttercup escape, but the man in black puts him in a chokehold, a move Fezzik may be familiar with, and Fezzik passes out. Uh, the CD tries to best the man in black in a game of wits, but he dies. The man in black had poisoned them both, but had built up an immunity to the poison, so he kind of cheated, but we'll, we'll take it. Prince Upperdink is closing in on them. The man in black tells Buttercup that he is the dread pirate Roberts. She says she died the day that she heard Wesley had been killed by him. And the man in black, and then she throws the man in black down a ridiculously steep hill, yelling that you can die too, for all I care. And as he rolls head over the hills, the heels down the hill, um, he yells back, as you wish. Buttercup realizes that this is not, in fact, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Spoiler alert. Uh, but it is really her beloved Wesley, and she throws herself down after him. Wesley and Buttercup run into the fire swamp to avoid Prince Humperdinck. They survive fire spouts, lightning, sand, and rodents of unusual size. But when they come out the other side, Humperdinck is waiting for them, so it was all for naught. In exchange for Wesley's life, Buttercup agrees to return to marry Humperdinck, so long as Wesley can be sent off to live a happy life as a pirate. Wesley notes that Humperdinck's lackey, Count Rugen, has six fingers on his right hand and is then knocked unconscious. Wesley is tortured in the pit of despair. <laughs> uh, Buttercup decides that she really wants to marry Wesley and asks Humperdinck to go find him. Humperdinck uh, gets a bit angry and, and you know, sort of proceeds at Buttercup, particularly for calling him a coward, and so he goes and tortures Wesley to death. And Fezzik catches up with his old pal, Inigo, and tells him that he knows where the six-fingered man is, but they need help. Uh, to, to break in, so they go to try and find Wesley, but they're too late. But they take his corpse to Miracle Max, who <laughs> makes them a get-better pill. And the three of them storm the castle on Buttercup's wedding night. Uh, Wesley is mostly dragged through because he's been recently dead. Inigo fights Count Rugen, informing him that, My name is Inigo Montoya, he killed my father, prepared to die. Count Rugen dies. Wesley, though weak from being dead not too long ago, he convinces Humperdinck to surrender through the power of insults and the ability to stand up. Fezzik, Inigo, Wesley, and Buttercup <laughs> right off into the sunset on four beautiful white horses. And at the end, the grandson asks his grandpa to come and read the book again the next day, to which the grandpa responds, as you wish. Whew, good job. That was our fastest summary ever. It's oh, like easily. four minutes. <laughs> yeah. A quarter of our usual okay. time. Okay, I'm ready for this conversation now. I, uh, I have a proposal, and my proposal is this. I think that there are two main characters that actually have an arc in this story. Uh, I propose that we talk about Buttercup. I think that Buttercup has an arc that she follows and whether or not you're completely satisfied with her change as a character I think that she changes as a character. Um, so she begins and when Humperdinck says that he wants to marry her um, she accepts because she does not believe that Wesley is still alive um, because she was told that he was dead uh, but as the, 
as the film progresses, she comes to trust more and more and more in this idea of true love that he's been talking to her about. Um, she seems to develop a spine uh, in talking with Humperdinck and telling him that she doesn't want to marry him. She's the one who takes control at the end of the fire swamp uh, and saves um, Wesley's life. Um, and even though she continues to be sort of a damsel in distress waiting for her prince to come and save her, um, she at least has the guts to wait. And, uh, so that's my, uh, that's my plug for Buttercup as the protagonist of this story in that I, I think she goes on an arc. I think she has, um, she follows a hero's journey. She has a call to adventure. She has helpers along the way, even if those helpers are her kidnappers. Um, but, uh, anyway, so well, and then that. at the end, uh, right before Leslie stops her, she, she's kind of behind, between what she views as a rock and a hard place that she's now locked into this marriage that she doesn't want to be in. And the only way she sees out is to kill herself, but she's willing to take, to make that choice. Yes. Which is, I mean, it, suicide is, um, can be seen as the ultimate act of agency, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that she develops agency over the course of the thing. I think she develops courage when she tells uh, Humperdinck that he's a coward. Um, that's a different buttercup than the buttercup at the beginning that was ready to just, you know, marry him and live a life of misery. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I think she changes. The other character who changes in the story is the boy. Yeah. And uh, and that the, in a lot of ways, I think this is this with these. This opening scene and the closing scene and a few sort of interruption scenes in the middle, I think that we actually get a really nice arc for him in which it begins – I think the opening is brilliant with the scene of this video game, which at the time was – Cutting edge. I mean, yeah, you joked about the graphics, but at the time, that was super cutting edge – uh, those are super cutting edge video games, and the the opening of this film is completely silent. You see the the opening title, and then this uh, black screen, and then you hear the video game start. And, and then I love the video game sounds as well. It just took me back to my childhood. Oh. And the sounds in this film is whoever did the the sound effects is genius the, because the sounds from like. The, the feet shifting in the rocks when they're sword fighting. Um, it's just the the quality of the sound in this film, I think, is really, really good. Just real quick, while we're on that point, uh, I was watching some of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that has been put out for the film, and uh-huh. Christopher Guest said that in his sword fight scene at the end with uh, Mandy Patinkin when Inigo Montoya is killing the Count, uh, he said when they first started doing it on the first day, and he, they started to wave their swords at each other, and he started to make, like, sounds with his mouth, like, you know, like kids would. Yeah. And the director was like, okay, you don't need to be adding the audio. We have audio people who will be <laughs> taking care of that. But he said it was just such a, um, it was so childlike for him, you know, this nostalgia and this joy of, of doing this kind of a duel, which is what kids always imagine. He just automatically yeah. started doing the childlike, you know, sound effects to go along with it. Yeah, I think the sound effects in this film are really, really, really good. There were 26 people in the sound department on the film. I'm not sure who would have been responsible for any particular thing. Most of them are listed as sound editors. They're Foley guy. I love Foley guys. Um, Let me see if there's one specifically a Foley guy. Uh, Foley mixer. Greg Orloff. Well well done, Greg Orloff. Greg Orloff. My hat goes off to you, Greg Orloff. 
Uh, you you um, could recognize him from his work in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Or <laughs> Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. <laughs> so He must be getting old. Uh, I don't know about his role as the Foley guy. Most of them, as I said, are sound editors. Okay. Um, don't know what any of them Any listeners who, who aren't familiar, Foley guys are the ones who go in a room and they make all the weird sound effects sounds. They find whatever could possibly be used to make the sound that they want to hear. And in, in the film, it seems natural. And it's like, of course, the sound that you'd expect to hear. But it's really like cheese graters being rubbed on a car door or something like that. Yeah, it's never it's never what you think that it is. Star Wars, is, Star Wars has like legendary... Uh, fully yeah, worked so on. Yeah, but Bender, Bender, the, it, he was the sound everything. Yes. Fully and editing and mixing and I mean he he's he's the legend in Hollywood for yeah. doing sound effects. Yeah. Well. All right. We were talking uh, about I, though, I think the child and why he uh, he's unnamed, right? The, unnamed. The sick, sick boy. Fred Savage. Yes, Fred Savage. The kid from Wonder Years. Fred Savage is the, the kid from Wonder of Years. The Princess Bride. I think that he kind of is because. He, he, so he starts, his grandpa comes in, he says, when I was your age, we read books, TV was called books, and he's got this great, um, accent, and the other thing that in, in this film is voices and accents, um, I think are really well done, uh, but anyway, he's like, well, I guess I'll try to stay awake, uh, the first time that Wesley and Buttercup kiss, he stops the story and says, wait, 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 wait. Is this a kissing book? I was watching this um, with my six-year-old daughter and my two-year-old son, who was supposed to be in bed, came in. And during the first kissing scene, my, my daughter reached over and put her hands over my son's eyes. <laughs> I was like, Lizzie, what are you doing? And she goes, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Kimball, I think Kimball has no... I mean, he just has no guile, right? Uh-huh. But um, we were in... I mean, we're in Spain, and we were on this long bus ride. Kimball, that's your son, and right? Kimball is my son. Yeah, he's nine. And so they put on a movie on the bus, and I was like, oh, we'll see how this goes. So he wanted to listen, and I thought that was probably fine, so I put the headphones on him. And um, as is often the case in Spain, they just put on a film, and there's no guarantee that it will be appropriate for children. (laughs) And uh, anyway, it was a film that I hadn't seen before. It was, um, I don't know what it's called. It has Thor's brother in it, and... uh, Anyway, you're not referring to uh, I mean, Loki. You're referring to the uh, Liam, the, other, Liam, the other Hemsworth, right? Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, the other Hemsworth. And uh, anyway, there's this scene where um, you know they kiss and then they move on to uh, other extracurricular activities. And <laughs> I told Kimball, uh, I was like, "Turn your head away," and um, so he did. And then. And then when we were watching Kiss, Princess Bride, when they would kiss, he would turn his head away. <laughs> like he was being very obedient. I said, Kimball. I mean, I tried to, I had to tr- kind of try to explain to him that. Um, anyway, it was sort of an awkward conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, so, but as the film continues, we get a couple of other interruptions from the son. Uh, but at the end, the grandpa s- stops the, stops the story. When they when they kiss and he says, "Well, yeah, you know, it's kissing, you know, like that." And he says, "Well, I, I don't, I, I don't mind it so much now." And then and then the grandpa is getting ready to leave, and he says, uh, "Maybe you could come back tomorrow and read it." And grandpa says, "As you wish." And at the beginning of the movie, is, the son had been kind of like, "Oh, grandpa's here again." 
Yeah, yeah he'll accept. pinch my cheek, and yeah. I don't like that. I'd say the other character for me that has the most actual like, arc or completion of quests is Inigo Montoya. Yes. Because, um, I, I mean, even with Wesley, you don't really know exotic. He does complete a... Yeah. I, I'd say, for me, both Wesley and Buttercup as as leads are kind of kind of flat. Um, you've convinced me a little bit more on Buttercup. Uh, but the Inigo Montoya, you know, has this quest that he's on to find the man who killed his father, and... Um, you get more, I think you get more emotion out of him than even out of Wesley or Buttercup, you know, finding their, their well, true loves. The Patinkin performance is really, really good. Yes, and he said uh, he when he was doing this role, his father had died from cancer a few years before, and he said when he was doing the sword fight scene, he just wow. tried to mentally tell himself over and over that I'm killing cancer. Like, he, he was imagining Christopher yeah. being cancer, and that he was stabbing the cancer that took his father from him. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great... And he really did accidentally stab Christopher Guest in the thigh. Right? One of the takes. That, that can be a little bit of payback, because Christopher Guest actually knocked out Carrie Elwes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, that's actually <laughs> Carrie Elwes going unconscious when, he, when, when oh, the sword handle hits him on the head. That's what wow. it looks like when someone gets knocked out. <laughs> I had no idea. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I agree that he has a quest. He doesn't. It doesn't seem like he changes much. I mean, his motivation stays. But at the end, at the end, he had, does have kind of the, you know, the return home moment no, I don't where know he what says, to do. I don't, "You know, yeah. I've, I've been in the revenge business for so long. I don't know what to do with myself." And Wesley kind of gives him, a, you know, "I'm not going to be the Dread Pirates Roberts anymore." So you could be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll go with that. So anyway, those are my. That's my. Those would be my plugs for uh, for main uh, character to talk about, but. And I think we also, um, just as we're talking about characters, let's just go ahead and run through some of the other great ones. Uh, and all of them. If, if you've seen any of the actors or actress, yeah, actors or actress, <laughs> I guess, who, who appear in like behind-the-scenes things and they talk about making the film, um, they, it seems like none of them can go more than a minute before they have to mention how much they loved working with Andre the Giant as Fezzik. Oh, uh, yeah. And they, they all have anecdotes about how wonderful it was you know, to work with him, how kind he was, what a gentle giant he was. And it seems, I mean, I love that character. It, it's a fun character. And I think all of us have wanted to stand up when it's crowded and you're trying to get somewhere and yell, everybody move! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but it seems like uh, Andre the Giant as an actor really uh, touched a lot of the, you know, the people that he was working with. Yeah. He was Kimball's favorite. And uh, when, uh, and I know Billy Crystal particularly formed a, a friendship with him and he, he made, uh, Billy Crystal made a kind of that movie called My Giant uh, years later, um, in 97, which, which was kind of a, based in part on his experience working with Andre the Giant huh. on, on this film. Um, but that you mean like critically panned? Yeah, like I saw it once and it was not a very good film. <laughs> like it just wasn't. It wasn't a very good quality wise. <laughs> uh, but the one of the interesting things is this was Andre the Giant's. Like he'd been a professional wrestler, but this was the first time making a, a Hollywood film, and. I think it was Manny Patinkin said that when when they were filming one of the ship scenes and they were it was just him and Andre the Giant on the ship and uh, you know one of the, the script supervisor who was helping with lines and they're running through it and at one point one of the script supervisor was like so how are you liking this and how how do you like making this film and Andre the Giant said oh it's wonderful he said well what do you like best about doing this he said no one looks at the weird because like, he was, <laughs> he was uh, you know he was so big in, in life um, yeah. you know that he stood out everywhere except on the film set like, on the film set he was part of the, you know, part of the group, um, of, yeah. like, you know, films just chaos and there's so many weird things to look at. He, he kind of blended into the background. I love his relationship with, um, 
Inigo. Yes. I mean, both Inigo and uh, and Fezzik are, like, incredibly honorable outlaws. <laughs> yes. As, as is the men in Blackwick. <laughs> you know, they have very pleasant conversations about how fair we're going to make our fight before we fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, and the only one that the man in black really cheats is the, you know... Um, is the cheat? Yeah, what, what's, what's the character's name all of a sudden? Vicini. 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 Sean, uh, what's the actor's last name? Wallace. Sean Wallace, yeah. Um, and, but he's the one that would be cheating, and that's when <laughs> the man in black cheats. Inconceivable. It's just, there's, it's, uh, it, it's just a joy. Like, there's so much, I get so much joy out of watching this film. Um, it, it really felt like, like, like they're friends. I don't know. Like, you know those characters so well. And I know, uh, um, I really, really love them. I haven't read it, but I know Carrie Ellis wrote a book about the making of this film. It, oh, he did? Yes. And, and like you said, it, it seems like the cast really connected. So I was, I was going through the IMDb list here of the, um, of the cast and thinking about like, where else have I seen any of these people? Carrie Elwes, it shows up on Psych every once in a while. Yes. Manny Patinkin's been in a lot of stuff. Chris Sarandon, I have a hard time like pegging him in other, in other things. He's, uh, which one is he? Count Rugen? Humperdinck. Humperdinck. Oh, Humperdinck, yeah. I was, I was trying to pay. I was trying to place it too. Christopher Guest, yeah, Christopher Guest, sorry, has his own world that he he runs in for filmmaking. But Wallace Shawn's voice is like legendary in film. He's in all the Toy Story movie, the Toy Story movies, yeah. and The Incredibles. Um, is it Wallace Shawn or Sean Wallace? I said Sean Wallace earlier. I think it's. Is it Wallace Shawn? I don't know. It's Wallace Shawn. Oh, I correct what I said earlier mentally now, listeners, please. <laughs> You've got Andre the Giant, Fred Savage, who's in the the Wonder Years, Robin Wright. Anybody want to say where else you've seen um, her? I House know. of Cards. Right yeah, I know she's in House of Cards right now. Yes, I had no idea that that was her. She was Robin Wright Penn for which is Mary Shonda. So, I, yeah, I just and up. she was in Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. But I t- I have a huge, huge, huge crush on her. <laughs> um, hey, well, famously they. At least some of the actors, um, Rob Reiner just went to and said, you tell me what you want to be like, um, many particular and he just said, you know, you tell me what character you want, and he gravitated towards Inigo Montoya. And same with Christopher Guest, he'd, he'd worked with Christopher Guest on, um, Spinal Tap. And, oh, okay. And so he, he kind of said, I'm making this movie and I'd like you to be in it, but for the role of Buttercup, they, they just screen tested over, I, the, the number that said in a lot of the things that I looked at said over 500 actresses. Wow. Including a lot of the name ones that you recognize, like Mick Ryan and Courtney Cox, and you know ones that you expect as as young actresses in the late eighties to have read for it. Yeah. And they got Robin Wright as one of the last ones, and immediately it's a, they said Robin's like that's that it's her. She has to she has to play this role. Man, when I saw when this film, I mean, I haven't seen this for at least several years, and uh, when she came on screen at the very beginning, I was like, my heart sort of skipped a beat, and I was like. <laughs> Yep, I still have a huge crush on her. <laughs> but uh, anyway, just a great, great cast. And uh, I was noticing, I mentioned this earlier, but the way that they talk, the the way that they handle voice, it almost feels like a like a cartoon in the in the care that they have uh, with voice and the way that lines are delivered. Um, but every character really has their own identity. 
Miracle Max and Valerie. Oh, Billy, Billy Crystal. <laughs> we didn't even mention the side characters, but yes. Uh, right. Miracle Max and his wife. Not a witch, what? Like, that scene yeah. uh, is, it's just Endlessly so fun. And you, I just, I can only imagine that there are, you know, two hours of other There's takes and other jokes. Days, yeah, of, of Billy Crystal just, just riffing and having the time of his life. They, oh my gosh. They filmed that across two days, and they let the tape just roll, and he was in the makeup for like two days, and, and he would just go, and they kept watching yeah, the movie, I, but... And I heard on some of them, they said he never told the same joke twice, like every time he was he was just doing his own thing, <laughs> he was just yeah. having a time, and uh, Mandy Patinkin said uh, the only injury he sustained on set was trying to hold in laughter. Uh, while Billy Crystal <laughs> was improv in front of him, and he said he bruised a rib. <laughs> and, wow. and even with all the sword fighting and everything else that he did, that was the only the only injury he sustained. That's funny. I totally, I believe it. It's it's just great, great stuff. And then there's um, the, uh, you know, the, I mean, so you have your main, your main cast, and then you get some side characters like uh, Miracle Max, and then there's a few flyby characters um, like the, uh-huh. <laughs> the the one who's um, at the wedding this stuff. Whoa! Yeah, the impressive yeah. clergyman. <laughs> yeah, his name is the impressive clergyman. <laughs> and it, it's um, I love those films that take the time with these characters that aren't going to have any storyline or anything, but they allow them to become full characters. You know, and and you know that is one of the most quoted you know voices now. You know that that people will slip into that voice when. And you know, get a yeah. chuckle from everyone in the room. Even there's there's like a captain of the guard, mm-hmm. and he's got this ridiculous red beard, <laughs> and he has and, a few very yeah. funny interactions. Yeah, so. just his presence is so distinctive. Yeah, so what do you uh, when you uh, are the uh, with his arms off? Oh, peace, peace, peace. <laughs> he's not on, he's not listed on here. He's not listed as uh, anything. There's no captain of the guard, gatekeeper. Yeah. Wesley, Inigo Montoya, Prince Humperdinck, Count Tyrone Rugen, Vizzini, Fezzik, The Grandson, The Princess Bride, oh, the, albino. the Grandfather, the, albino. Oh. the Impressive Clergyman, The Albino, Valerie and Miracle Max, The Queen, The Ancient Booer, <laughs> The Ancient Booer, Marjorie Mason. Who are you, Marjorie Mason? <laughs> She's famous for The Princess Bride, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Okay, now we have to go watch that. Again. <laughs> Wait, The Ancient Booer was in... Potter, the yes. Of Actress, let's see. <laughs> this, this is quality podcasting, everyone. This, this is, is focused like a laser. This is what you come here for. <laughs> focused like a laser. Um, uh, where are you? Uh, she's in 101 Dalmatians as woman on park bench number two. <laughs> That's the Glenn Close one. Um, she was not in the animated. <laughs> no. Where is it? Oh, she's the food trolley lady in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Okay. that's ho- There's some homework for us. <laughs> okay. Go find her. Uh, but she is the ancient booer. Uh, you've got Yellen? I think that's him. Maybe he- that must be him. I think that's him. Yellen. Uh, Yellen was the chief enforcer of the country of Florin. There he is, Yellen. So uh, anyway, his name is Malcolm Story. The King, the Mother, and the Assistant Brute. All great characters. All right. We've kind of, I mean, we're, we're abandoning our traditional format. We're focused on a character and just kind of free-forming this one, which I'm fine with. But there are two questions uh, that, watching it this time, 
I wanted to ask. Go for it. Humperdinck's plan to have a war. <laughs> Is this needlessly complex? Um, <laughs> so he yeah, actually yeah. hires the three that kidnap Buttercup to right. have them go and place her body in an enemy, you know, enemy country. <laughs> then he rescues Buttercup <laughs> and brings her back to his his own country, where he will now stage her death. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I think yes, probably it's pointlessly complex. I think that there are a lot of things in this, uh, points in this story that are point, pointless. It's kind of... Um, why doesn't Wesley just run away from Fezzik? <laughs> Instead of uh, engaging him in combat? Instead of engaging him well, in combat. Well, how far do you think you'd have to run before Fezzik could peg him with a stone? That's my question. <laughs> Like, Fezzik's not going to catch know. him in a foot race, but he seemed pretty proficient throwing rocks. I don't know. It just seems uh, that whole fight seems I mean, uh, totally Humperdinck's unnecessary, plot, although it's fantastic. For me, Humperdinck's plot is now going to be up there with um, the replacement Mad-Eye Moody's plot in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, <laughs> in which the whole purpose <laughs> is to get Harry to touch a port key, but he puts him through an entire Triwizard Tournament and ensures that he wins. He legally enters him, ensures that he wins the Triwizard <laughs> Tournament, when literally any object be turned into a port key. So he could have just, on the first day of class, said, Potter, hand me that quill. Right. <laughs> Which was a port key. <laughs> and took him there. So, yeah, these are now my favorite two convoluted evil plots. <laughs> I have some separate questions about the Goblet of Fire thing. But well, that's let's, a different let's matter. Let's take Um... Now, at one point, doesn't Humperdinck give the impression that somehow his plan was foiled? I'm wondering if the man in black was going to foil it. But, but how would he have known no, about that yeah, to why have to track them down? Exactly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why is he even chasing them? <laughs> yes. This, this is what I noticed this time. And I have watched this, like I said, many times in my childhood. I have not rewatched it in years, but this time that stood out to me. Like, wait a second. And the other one that yeah. um, I asked is. And maybe this was explained in a line of, line of dialogue that I missed or something. Fezzik goes and finds Inigo, who's drunk. He says, hey, I know where the six-fingered man is. How does Fezzik know where the six-fingered man is? They do gloss that over. Gloss so, over. Okay. so the grandfather says that Fezzik finds Inigo and tells him all these things, and it's never explained how Fezzik okay. learned <laughs> so, any of it. So they say he found it out, but they don't explain how he found it out. Well, he is on the Brute Squad. He is the Brute Squad. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but you know, maybe there's maybe they're maybe they're uh, tossing around gossip as they're you know on the brood squad, and somebody mentions that the count has six fingers. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you would think that as a member of the as a member of that kingdom, you would know that that somebody had six fingers. That was a famous you know important person. It's like the celebrity have, gossip of <laughs> yeah. You'd have celebrity <laughs> gossip of have the, you heard about the, the count? The, <laughs> I swear, yeah, he really has six fingers. No, he doesn't. You always say that. No, he does. I saw it. Or at least my cousin saw it. Yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't attempt to hide. It's not like he, he hides it. He has six fingers. You would notice. They they do explain that Inigo left the battlefield, the sword fight field, um, and did not go the same direction as everyone else. So I would say that Fezzik maybe did go the same direction as everyone else because he found that Vizzini was dead. And yeah. somehow so, so found out the come other... across the giant body and say carry on. Yeah, they did. He just <laughs> must like, have. Oh no! Wait, is he there? Someone has beaten the giant. Oh, yeah, yeah. He but says, is somebody someone has beaten the giant? No. So at some point, though, Humperdinck passes Fezzik on the way to. So maybe they picked him up and said, "Hey, you want to join the Bruce Crowd?" And took him back <laughs> to town. 
Yeah, because they're also across an entire ocean. Yeah, how did Fe- Fezzik doesn't seem, I mean, no offense to Fezzik, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would make his way across an ocean. He only dog paddles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's, he's dog paddling in front of me. Piloting a ship. That's <laughs> where I was, I was going with that. But also a valid point. He is incapable of swimming across an entire ocean. That's text. That's canon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of any dignified way to end this conversation right now about this. About the plot film. line. Well, I, uh, I mean, we, uh, if you just want a non sequitur, I did put a, put out on Facebook that I was going to be talking about uh, Princess Bride uh, on a podcast and asked if anyone had any plot points or quotes they wanted to make sure that we got what we mentioned. So uh, let me just run through what we have. Uh, and Sean you know, says, if you must know, then as you wish. We should be addressing the as you wish, uh, which yes. is one of the most famous quotes, I would say, for this. Which, I mean, as you watch it, there are so many quotable lines. Uh, I love the quote, we are men of action, lies do not become us. <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? Anybody want <laughs> rhyming jokes. Um, yeah, so, and inconceivable is the next comment that I had on my Facebook feed from, from yes. Jenny, which I remember as a kid, like, not quite inconceivable, and then the, the famous rebuttal from Inigo, he keeps saying that word, I think it means what you think it means. I'm like, well, <laughs> it, he's using it right, but now I understand, like, there's more depth to the way, like, a child understands inconceivable. Like, of course you should be able to conceive that a man held onto a rock wall. <laughs> That's not an inconceivable feat, particularly if you're, uh, you are yourself a, you know, a criminal <laughs> that goes about, uh, you know, setting up things to, to look, you know setting up things that should be impossible. That's your job. You should be able to conceive someone else doing something like holding onto a rock wall. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tricky catching... Like, I was rock climbing earlier today at a local indoor climbing gym. It is tricky to catch yourself But is it conceivable? <laughs> no. And that one looked, like, reasonably good for grabbing onto. Bad for climbing up. <laughs> uh, guy, oh, let's talk about that, that rope. How long is that rope? And where do they have pain? <laughs> how, how thick is that rope? <laughs> Not easy to hold but on here's to. My, here's my thing. It, not an inconceivable for the guy that just climbed <laughs> that whole entire thing up a rope. Yeah, th- I that's mean, an impressive cliff that they scaled. And he does it all with arms. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> all arms. No feet. Um, all arms. Uh, one of I mean, the other got, uh, funny significant things I found out when I was looking at the, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, Andre the Giant, uh, as a wrestler, you may have known, like, later in his career, he famously had uh, a lot of back problems. But when they were filming this, he already had a lot of really bad back problems, and he couldn't do any of the physical feats his character was being called on to do. So there's a body double in all of the wrestling, uh, the rock scenes, when Wesley's on his back, that's a body double. Uh, like, Wesley couldn't climb on to uh, Andre the Giant's back. And during the rope climbing, there's, like, he, no one is putting any actual weight on him. Like, of those who are harnessed to him for those close-ups, they're all being pulled out by pulleys and lifted up, so there's no actual weight on him. So they had two giants... Yeah, but uh, apparently the the body double giant was like a foot shorter. He <laughs> was only six foot four, not seven foot four. Wow, because he looks big yeah. when Wesley jumps on him. All right, can can you talk for a minute about Fezzik's character? Well, he, I love Fezzik. He's, he's just happy to help, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what he's helping. Like what he's helping with is kidnapping. He's happy to help. <laughs> what he's helping with is storming a castle. Happy to do that too. <laughs> 
I love when they're on the boat and um, and they're kind of, they're like, hey, we didn't, you know, you didn't say anything about killing her. And Vizzini goes off on Fezzik and, um, you know, do you, what is he? He says something. Never mind. I'm just going to have to find myself another giant. That's all. And, and Fezzik says, oh, Fizzini, don't say that, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just so, he's so sweet. And, um, and I mean, he really is just gentle. And his, so, his concern about um, doing things sportsmanlike when he has to fight Wesley is fantastic. I think it's a great moment at the end when he brings the horses and, yeah. and Hello, he's, ex- lady. he's explaining his, you know, concept for getting the horses. And Inigo just kind of looks at him and says, you did a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he just gets a smile. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what Sesek means. He's done lots of good yeah. things. I mean, he doesn't... I don't... I can't think of anything that he does that's not good. Kidnapping yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, I mean, a princess of the land. Yeah, he, he's, well, he's yeah. not indicating that Fezzik is generally a screw-up or anything. But he's just giving him credit. He's, he's saying, hey, this is, well, I think he's this is a really good one. Uh, for showing the initiative. And thinking it yeah. through. Which, he, I mean, Inigo already owes him, because Fezzik's the one that went and found him and sobered him up in, I don't know how long that took to dunk his head back and forth between a couple barrels. <laughs> we got him quite sober. And a really nice stew. That stew looks delicious every time. <laughs> it does. It does. Alright, uh, next comment I had on my Facebook feed is from John, and it says, I think it is funny that they use the same mechanism as many superhero situations where a simple mask precludes any identification. Which uh, Kimball had no idea that it was him. Oh, so it worked on odd Kimball. And in yeah. Buttercup's and, defense, and in Buttercup's defense, for five years she's thought, you know, Wesley was dead. She's not looking, out looking for Wesley. Right. Which, I guess, now's a good point time to note. I keep saying Wesley, and... But it's spelled in the film W S T L E Y and and pronounced a few times. A few very times, humbling was a very clear Wesley, but Buttercup is usually a Wesley. And I, uh, growing up, I always thought it was Wesley, but looking into it now, like, oh, there's a T there. <laughs> well, I think they they also I mean, maybe this is uh, like a Han Han thing, but uh, some it people could be call some him accents Vicini, going on, yeah. and some people call him Vicini. Oh yeah. Inigo, Inigo. I hear, I yeah, there, I think there are a few Inigos. Inigo or Inigo, yeah. yeah so there, there could go. be some, some dialect issues happening here. All right, uh, Elizabeth says, I don't know what I want you to talk about, but I do want to listen, so I hopefully you're listening now, Elizabeth. <laughs> and uh, Megan says, I love the writer slash narrator voice, and I think she's referring to the novel. Or, well, maybe... I think she's talking be, about the grandfather. Yeah, he's a character she himself, even if he's not from the bride story. And then, though, she mentions something that's in the novel only. And The Zoo of Death is one of my favorite chapters ever written. And it sucks that it isn't in the movie at all. And I've never read the book, or if I did, it was when Neither I was... Neither have I. I have, and it's it's. But I looked into what the Zoo of Death scene is. It's leading down to the pit of despair. Right? Yeah, so there is sort of a more complex um, environment that Wesley's being kept in. And this is when Inigo and Fezzik are going down into the pit of despair. They have to go through. Uh, each level has different... Deadly animals on mm-hmm. it, uh, and and uh, it's sort of to keep people in and to keep people out. Yeah. Um, and it, I, there's a more complex system for it, but at the time they felt it was completely improbable to try and do that well, in the film. I, re- I read uh, my favorite part that I read about in the Zoo of Death as I was looking into this after this comment appeared on my Facebook feed. There's one point where a snake wraps itself around both Fezzik and Inigo and. Fezzik is not strong enough to break the hold of the snake. 
And then uh, Inigo says something like, I'm sorry, we're going to die. I had so many more good rhymes for you. So I guess the rhyming theme oh. is something goes up. And then Fezzik, like, wells up the strength because he wants to hear the rhymes <laughs> that Inigo has for him and gets them out of the snake coils. And then he finds out that Inigo lied to him. He's pretty disappointed in Inigo oh. until Inigo saves Fezzik's life on the next level. And then Fezzik forgives him for lying about the rhymes. And then they continue rhyming for the next the next <laughs> level after that. Like, Inigo tries to give That's him every awesome. rhyming. It's, it, it is an excellent book. Um, Let me ask you this about the book. Does the book have the framing, the same framing device as the film? No, it has a different framing device. The book was written by William Goldwyn, Goldwyn who wrote the film as well. Yes. Um, so he wrote the book, and he invented the character, the author, S. Morgenstern, and did a framing device in which he tells the story of S. Morgenstern being asked to write the abridgment of The Princess Bride, because... The long version is much like many of the uh, classic French novels and have a great deal of history about Florin and the war it's having with another country <laughs> and, uh, and the politics. And and so when his father read it to him, he cut all that out. And so S. Morgenstern was doing the abridged, abridged version. And so he has some inserts into the story. And okay. so there is a framing device, and there are cutaways and inserts like with the grandfather and the and the grandson. And I've heard okay. um, lists of books that don't exist that get requested from libraries all the time, that the original Princess Bride, the underage Princess Bride, is one of the books that people request libraries to try and find. <laughs> because when you read it, it yeah. has the um, illusion of just being a foreword to an abridgment. All right, Todd, here's, here's a comment that deals with uh, some of your, your new realizations about Buttercup. This is from a listener, Krista. She said, I was disappointed as a kid when I realized that Buttercup is mostly her appearance, since there isn't a lot of brain there. But I was far more disappointed when I realized that Wesley, who seemed otherwise perfect, was the type of guy who went for a pretty girl who was pretty and nothing else. And now I like it again as a fun story and as an example of a love story that's actually not so good. What the crud does true love mean anyway? <laughs> so I've kind of gone full cycle of like loving it as a child, realizing there's some flaws, but now just being able to, to enjoy it as kind of the whimsical story that it is. It also goes, Joseph, to your uh, the foundation of their relationship. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> he says, as you wish, and they both realize they're mad as off. He's just doing chores. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know how seriously to take the a thing. I think that it is just a whimsical, yeah. And I really find myself fairy tale much more interested in the side characters than in Wesley and Buttercup, actually. I I did find myself thinking about Buttercup though as I was watching it this time and thinking exactly what I said earlier, which is whether or not you're completely satisfied with her change as a character. I think that there is change in her as a character, and whether um, whether or not you agree with uh, this fact that at the end she is still just waiting for Wesley to come and save her. Um, that's uh, progress. I mean, from where she was earlier. And she does have so I think that there is change. I think that there is that she gains some agency as the as the film progresses. Um, I don't think that their relationship is founded on. Uh, well, there's a, we don't get in depth to the relationship as viewers. There could be a lot more there that's been skipped over, but we don't see in that initial you know five or ten minutes of the film right. much foundation. And we also like. Even as they're walking through the fire swamp, we don't see a whole lot of them connecting on a personal level. It's more just, I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> yeah. It, I, uh, if you're looking for more character fleshing out, do read the book. But, as I recall, granted, I, this was 
when I was in ninth grade. I was in junior high and uh, reading this. I think it fleshes out more of Inigo and Fezzik, but I specifically remember chapters about Inigo's backstory and how he mastered swordplay and things like that. And also there was chapters about Humperdinck and, and how he got his skills. Um, so it does flush out characters, but I feel like it it broadens more than it deepens Wesley and Buttercup. Yeah. All right. I like this next comment from Mr. Rich. The fact that not only does Humperdinck not die in the end, but they stop the movie to talk about why it's fair or not fair that he doesn't die is amazing. Even young kids just expect <laughs> and then hope for bad guys to die at the end. To completely call that out and subvert it is pretty cool. And I agree. Yeah, I agree too. And and they they call it out through the kid. Yeah. Well, and I was watching this with my six-year-old daughter, and she called out like some of the same things that the kid in the movie was about to call out like as things were happening, like when uh, Humperdinck goes down and turns the machine that drains life up to 50 and drains it out of him and Wesley dies. She like turned him and she's like, he's going to get those 50 back, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how's he going to get the 50 back? <laughs> yeah. And then even after he came back to life, she's like, does he have 50 back? Like, she was very concerned about the amount of life that he was going to have left after being brought back to Interesting. life. Interesting. <laughs> she's very smart. <laughs> All right. Uh, next comment uh, just says The Pit of Despair, which, yeah, I love <laughs> The Pit of Despair. It's such... And, yeah, and the albino that... Uh, I remember as a kid being tickled of his voice change. <laughs> yeah. And it still is delightful uh, as an adult to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, you got a lot of comments. Yeah, I was. I put this out literally about two hours ago, and I've got quite a few. Uh, Listener Caleb says, you should discuss as much as inconceivably possible, and with the in parentheses, <laughs> uh, the whole films of merit. And then the next comment kind of addresses this. It says, is it intentionally ironic or play for laughs that the smartest outlaw literally can't conceive of things that Wesley does? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, we've already mentioned some of the, the use of the inconceivable, which is uh, so delightful, the way that that line gets delivered. I love, I got so much, I got so much joy out of his, um, when he's walking through his logic at the, with the Iocane powder. <laughs> yes. And, and I, when I was watching that, though, clearly not choose. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow his <laughs> rationale, but it's, um, it's just hilarious. I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. When you were watching that scene, did but, you start to pay attention to Robin Wright? No, she, she's sitting there she, still as a statue with a blindfold on as this dialogue is being delivered next to her, <laughs> and I think it must have been almost as hard as uh, the scenes of Billy Crystal to sit there yeah. and be called on to not react to absurdity and yeah. uh, just laugh out loud humor that's spewing forth from an actor's mouth right next to you. But she Truly. she holds it. She just sits there perfectly still the yeah. entire time. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of my favorite scenes. Alright, uh, along with pretty much every other scene in this film. <laughs> yeah. Last two comments is make everything rhyme too, I mean it. That's from Caleb. <laughs> and then the very last comment I have on here is from Norma, and it just says, Love, true love. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's fantastic quotes, um, which uh, I think a lot of. There are times where pop culture can become like too referenced, where uh, making references can stand in for saying something when it's not yeah. when it's not really saying something but I think it also you can, it can kind of act like a cultural shibboleth <laughs> that you are um, forming a common bond with someone where you drop a reference and you see who in the room nods yes. knowingly um, so it can make connections but it doesn't always stand in for actual contributions to a conversation and sometimes <laughs> people pretend that it does or misunderstand that it is 
Uh, so I'm not anti-pop culture references at all, uh, but I think they um, they have their place, and this is one of the films that gets used as kind of a, a conversational placeholder sometimes because so much of it is quotable. Yeah, it's it's one of the greats. Anything? Any final words on this? Uh, no, I think what I've realized is that this film's not perfect, but I still love it. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. some plots, character issues that uh, when you really start to, to parse it out, they're there, but I am completely willing, and I don't know if it's just nostalgia or the joy of the film itself, I'm completely willing to ignore those and just sit back and pop this in and watch it with my kids anytime they want uh, to watch it again. I'll watch it with my kids. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is. I think whimsical is, is the right word to describe it. It's... Um, they're not trying to make any uh, any huge earth-shattering statements about anything, including true love. I think I don't think that I don't think that they even they they take the whole true love thing seriously themselves. No, it's uh, it's a shorthand it's saying this is a very part of the fairy tale they're expecting, and so we're going to use this yeah. as a motivation so that we don't have to. Uh, so we can get a little, move along to the fun, fun scenes that we have coming. You can you can like believe it or not, but uh, let's just take it as read that these people really, 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 really love each other. Now, Todd, I believe you picked Wesley and Buttercup in your Valentine's draft. Yeah, I did. Do you stand by that selection? Do you still consider them part of your, your top-tier romantic couples? Great characters in great love stories? Yes. Um, but but more because uh, it's a great love story than because uh, what, what, how how do I say this? It's a great love story in that it's a great story in which love plays a part. <laughs> um, I think that the the story of their love is is not. Uh, I mean, it's not like anything to write home about. Like she, he says, "As you wish," and then they kiss, and then they're in love. Um, but I don't know. I just really, really like this story. And so, yeah, I'll step Yeah, I mean, their, their love, and this isn't out of place for this story. It's a very kind of adolescent love. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the simple, like, I really like that person. I hope they like me. Oh, they do. And now we should be together. And, yes. Um, but for the story they're telling and the audience that they're trying to target, that's not out of place. Nope. I think it. I think it all works. Um, it all works well. Last thing I want to say is, uh, like I said, we were watching it with my six-year-old and my two-year-old walked in, and <laughs> he he was he saw uh, Andre the Giant on, on screen, and he just said, "Whoa, that a big guy!" Like <laughs> in this little yeah. two-year-old voice, like he was impressed. And then a little bit later, there was uh, he saw Vasini right next to Andre the Giant on the on the television screen, and he just started giggling. And I said, "What are you laughing at?" And he goes, "That ah, tiny guy." <laughs> 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 and yeah, there's uh, just some great visuals that happen, like having those two actors right next to each other, and there's just this phenomenal size difference uh, on screen. I think it just the thing that the thing that surprised me this time as I watched it, um, or that stood out to me that I hadn't noticed before, was um, despite all the lack of I don't know care or detail uh, put into like the plot and <laughs> um, you know certain elements of the plot. Uh, there's just these things like sound and delivery of lines and And certain set pieces, like the the sort of certain set pieces and visual things and the way that, um, the accent is used. And I think that there's so much care put into so many things in this film that I'm totally willing to overlook, uh, some of these, uh, 
flaws that we've pointed out. Yeah, it's almost that, uh, you know, when you look at it as a whole, you're like, there's not a whole lot there, but when you talk about all these little bits and these characters and these particular scenes, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Protagonist in iTunes, and we'd encourage you to leave a review there if you like what you hear. It doesn't seem like much, but it really helps us out. You can find links to everything we've talked about in this episode, along with a list of all our shows at protagonistpodcast.com or in the show notes of your podcasting app of choice. Uh, if you want to suggest a character for us to talk about or comments about the podcast, you can send us an email at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or you can find us on Twitter. We are at protagonistpod. You can also find us each on Twitter. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Also, please like our Facebook fan page called protagonist podcast we love any comments corrections or any interaction of any kind and uh, thanks again for listening and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long so long should todd uh, intro or yeah i'll do the intro I'm just, oh, that's, I think that's Oh, better. that does sound a little better. Actually, it's kind of, yeah, I just pulled the blankets over my head. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot better, though, actually. <laughs>